This is the Asian Madness Podcast, a podcast where we discuss all things true crime, morbid, mysterious, and odd from the Asian continent. I am your host, Jessica. Hello friends, welcome to the 6th Urban Legends episode, episode 60, and also the last episode of 2020 from the Asian Madness podcast. Thank you all again for a wonderful year. Podcasting is very humbling. I know not everyone likes the way I talk, or the way I deliver stories, or even my voice, but that's okay. As long as I've got listeners, I'm happy. Stepping out of my comfort zone and starting a podcast was a huge thing for me, and since I can be a bit of a people pleaser, negative comments and reviews do get to me from time to time. But it's all good. I appreciate and would prefer to focus on those who listen and those who support me. Thank you. For this episode, I will again tell you five urban legends from around Asia. Some are maybe cultural, some are related to certain tragedies, Others can be a little spooky, and some might just sound completely ridiculous. It is up to you, as the listener, to decide if you believe in them or not. But even if you don't believe in these ghosts, don't worry. I'm sure the ghosties believe in you. Let's begin. Tale number one comes from South Korea, and it is a true event that took place in the year 1995. While the main events are true, there have been multiple sightings and weird stories that stem from this. Let's start with the facts of the case. In the year 1990, a brand new five-story department store opened. The shopping mall was called the Sampun Department Store, located in Seoul, South Korea. What no one really knew was that the land that this huge department store was built on was actually a landfill. In the beginning, Sampun Enterprise and the construction company all worked together, following regulations. But halfway through, the man behind the enterprise, a Mr. Lee, decided to make drastic changes to the blueprint of the ground floor structure. These changes were not accepted by the construction company, as it violated several safety regulations. So the two eventually parted ways. Sampun Enterprise began to work with their own construction company and made even more changes. What was initially a four-story department store became a five-story department store. They opened their doors to the public in July of 1990, and it was a major hit. Here's the thing, though. It was already difficult to accommodate a huge building on this piece of land. The initial blueprint was relatively safe. But the more changes they made, the less safe it became. A lot of important structural beams were taken out to make more space, and since an extra floor was added, the building had to support even more weight on its already wobbly structure. So what happened? 
In April 1995, the fifth floor ceiling began to show cracks. And the management team was like, okay, let's just move stuff off the roof to relieve the weight. A couple months later, on the morning of June 29th, the rooftop cracks got so out of control they could no longer ignore it. Civil engineering professionals were called over immediately to check out the situation, and they were very alarmed. According to them, if the situation persists, the building is at risk of fully collapsing. How is that not terrifying? And what did the property management team do? Absolutely nothing. They decided that, okay, very scary, but it should be fine. Look at the crowds today, though. We are bringing in lots of money. What a shame it would be to force every shopper to leave. At around 5 p.m. on the same day, the fourth floor ceiling began to cave in. And what did the department store people do? They simply blocked off the fourth floor. Less than an hour later, everyone inside the department store could clearly hear the strange sounds coming from the walls things no one should ever hear while inside a building. That's when the management team finally began to evacuate shoppers. But, well, that was a little too late. An AC unit on the rooftop fell through the fifth floor ceiling, which brought about a chain reaction. And within 20 seconds, a five-story department store had completely collapsed. Many people lost their lives, 502, to be exact. 937 others were injured. It was a devastating situation that could definitely have been prevented. But enough about the facts. It is very common for people to believe that a place where something super tragic occurred could be haunted, especially if the victims died suddenly, completely taken by surprise. Sometimes when people claim to see these spirits, these spirits may not even be aware that they're already dead. So, they're kind of stuck in a weird loop. Many people have claimed to have experienced or seen weird things on the day of and after the tragic incident. One woman had made plans with her family to go shopping and have dinner at Sampung Department Store on the day it collapsed. They lived very close to the department store, so their plan was to walk over. When they stepped outside of their apartment to cross the street, a taxi suddenly stopped in front of them. She couldn't explain why she did what she did, but instead of going around the taxi, she simply opened the taxi door, got in, felt this strange urge to change her destination, and they headed off to another department store instead. Once she arrived, she got off the taxi, turned, but realized that the taxi was already gone. Weirdly enough, she didn't even hear it take off. She shrugged it off and entered the department store. That's when she found out about what had just happened at the Sampun department store. Imagine how different things would have been if she didn't change her mind. Some would say that this was a form of divine intervention. This woman believed that the taxi from nowhere literally saved her life. A mother had taken her young daughter to the Sampung department store that same day to shop. While they were there, everything seemed fine, until her daughter suddenly began to cry 
begging her mother to go home. Her daughter refused to stop, could not be consoled. So the mother had to cut her shopping trip short, and the two headed home. After returning home that day, the mother saw on the news that the department store they were just at had collapsed. She was shocked and scared, as one would be. She turned and asked her daughter why she wanted to go home so desperately earlier, and her daughter calmly explained that there were so many people hanging on a black rope. I have no idea what that means, but whatever it is that she saw, it literally saved her and her mother's life. Luxury modern apartments are now standing on top of where the department store once stood. There is no sign that a department store had once existed there, and no sign that such a tragedy had ever occurred, at least not one where hundreds of people were injured and killed. Although everything seems pretty normal nowadays, residents have reportedly seen strange things in the basement-level parking garage. A man was returning home from work and was driving in the garage towards his parking space in the basement level. He suddenly saw a group of women giggling as if rushing to go somewhere. They were carrying big shopping bags with a strange logo on it. He didn't recognize the women nor the bags. When he entered his apartment, he told his wife what he had seen and described the bag to her. She gasped and told him that the logo was from Sampoon Department Store. Turns out, the basement level was where the department store had major sales, which could explain what the man saw. Plenty others have reportedly seen quote-unquote people with Sampoon Department Store shopping bags dressed in 90s clothing around the area where the department store once stood. Maybe someone was trying to be a professional prankster. Or maybe... There are things out there, things we cannot explain. The tsunami episode on the new Unsolved Mysteries kind of touches on this subject, when the dead may not really know that they're actually dead. I would definitely recommend that episode for anyone who's interested in learning more. Now, on to our second tale. This is something that is very much believed in some traditional Asian cultures, but for simplicity's sake, I will be focusing on how it works in Taiwan. When a loved one dies, many times those that are still alive will dream about the deceased. Sometimes they die suddenly from illness or an accident, or sometimes they were a victim of a crime. Either way, many people have sworn up and down that their deceased loved ones have visited them in their dreams, trying to pass on a message. Sometimes it's a good message. Sometimes it's neutral, and other times it can be a bit more sinister. These stories are so common, they're pretty normalized now. In Taoism, appearing in someone's dream can mean a couple things. Someone was wronged and they want to set the story straight, or someone just wants to warn you of something. Dreaming of someone dead may not really be strange. It could just mean that you were thinking about them. But... What if there is more to it? In the year 2015, a man with the surname Yang called up a friend of his and suggested that they go on a trip to the eastern side of Taiwan, a very scenic and beautiful part of the island. Days later, though, the friend failed to return home, 
and because he was already in his 70s, his family was extra worried he had gotten into an accident or something terrible. The family notified the police, and despite looking everywhere, they could not find him. Eventually, the police tracked down Yang and took him into custody. They knew he was the likely suspect, but despite questioning him, he continued to deny knowing anything about his friend's disappearance. While the police were still searching, a family member called the police with information, the kind of information many people would probably dismiss, but not in this case. The missing man's daughter told the police that her daughter, who happened to be the victim's favorite granddaughter, had said that her grandfather appeared to her in her dream. In her dream, he told her to go past the red bridge, past the tunnel, a place where you can hear running water, behind three tree branches. Since the police already knew the two men traveled to the eastern part of the island, they began to focus on the description that the girl gave them. Surprise, surprise, they found the red bridge, they went past the tunnel, and everything along the way was just as she had described. As the police kept going towards the sound of the water, one officer suddenly felt dizzy and had to stop for a break. That's when he looked down, and at the bottom of the cliff on the side of the road lay a huge metal drum. Inside the metal drum, they found the victim. Sounds super fantastical, doesn't it? Can you really say it's absolutely fake? Or does it sound half true, half fake? I can't really tell you because I wasn't there, and nothing like this has ever happened to me. What I can tell you is that these kind of stories are very common, and most people I know would rather believe than not believe. Sure, I do admit I'm skeptical, but that's only normal. One more story. A woman from Taiwan, let's call her Jane, was working as a flight attendant in the late 90s. She was young, vibrant, and had just gotten married the year before. On December 18, 1998, a plane carrying 196 people traveling from Indonesia to Taiwan crashed right before they were supposed to land. All 196 on board died. Jane being one of them. Aside from crashing, there were explosions and fires, so as you would imagine, body parts were not necessarily intact. The forensic team had to gather every single human body part they could find, test the DNA, and try to put as much back together as possible. Jane's family was only able to recover parts of her, and they accepted it. They prepared a mourning hall for Jane with her photo and flowers and her favorite foods, you know, according to tradition. That's when they received a strange phone call from someone they didn't even know. A woman called them asking if they knew a woman named Jane. Her parents responded that Jane was in fact their daughter, and the woman told them something that they found strange, but almost comforting. A week earlier, this woman had a dream. She didn't see anyone in her dream, but she continued to hear a voice telling her, My name is Jane. I was on that flight that crashed. Please tell my family I don't have clothes. I'm very cold. At first, the woman brushed it off as a weird dream. But strangely enough, 
she began to have the same exact dream every single night. Finally, she looked up the name she kept hearing in her dream, and to her surprise, this person did exist, and was indeed on that flight. After hearing all this, the family quickly burned some of Jane's clothes for her to use in the afterlife. Remember, this is something people believe in. Burning paper money is for the deceased to use in the afterlife, and in this case, Jane needed clothes. After the parents burned clothes for her, the woman thought this was done and over. But then, Jane appeared in her dream again, this time thanking her, but telling her that her path was so dark, she couldn't see anything. Once again, this woman called up the parents, and the parents burned paper lotuses, as it represented good fortune lighting the way. The following night, the woman had one more dream of Jane. This time, she could finally see what Jane looked like, and she thanked the woman for helping her. That would be the last time the woman had a dream about Jane. A very important question you might have. Why would Jane appear to a complete stranger? Well, some people believe in past lives, and in this case, this woman knew and very likely owed Jane a favor in a past life. This is a way of repaying a past debt, even if the two women didn't know each other in this current life. This may not be very terrifying or scary, but it is slightly creepy. What do you think? Do you think this is just simply an urban legend? Or is there really more going on? More than we could ever know or understand? The third tale of this episode comes from Vietnam. This is definitely more in the format of a classic urban legend. So here goes. For some who didn't own refrigerators, people would preserve meat by dry curing, meaning they would rub salt on it in order to preserve it. Once upon a time in a rural village, a family did this every single day to help preserve the meat. The mother would buy meat at the market, rub salt on it, and take it to the backyard where she would put it in a barrel for storage. One day, she went to grab some meat and realized that a lot of it was missing. At first, she thought she was imagining things, or maybe she had forgotten she had used up the meat. Either way, she brushed it off and went back into the house. The following day, she went to get some meat again, and upon looking into the barrel, she could tell for sure that another chunk of meat was gone. She first questioned everyone in the family, and as she expected, no one knew anything about the missing chunk of meat. The mother then grew suspicious of her neighbors, but she had no proof, so she had no way to accuse them. In the end, her and her husband decided to stay up that night and see if they could catch the thief in action. Their house went dark at around bedtime, and the husband and wife crouched by the window, hoping to see who the meat thief was. Hours went by, and at around 1 a.m., the wife and husband heard movement outside their window. They see a shadow of a human figure moving around their backyard, but it was too dark to see who the person was. The husband and wife decided to wait until the person started to steal the meat to confront them, as that person would be caught red-handed. Soon after, 
the shadow person made their way over to the meat barrel, and as soon as they took a chunk of meat out, the husband and wife ran out the door to yell at the person. What they saw horrified them and stunned them. It was their next-door neighbor, an elderly grandmother. She was devouring and tearing through the raw meat as if she hadn't eaten in days. Her eyes appeared to look right through the couple as she chewed, and even upon being discovered, she made no effort to hide what she was doing. The three just stood there, the husband and wife basically petrified. Once the old lady finished eating, she turned and ran back to her house. The couple decided to pay their neighbors a visit the following morning. When they told the couple living there, the son and the daughter-in-law of the old woman, what had happened the previous night, they laughed and said that that was not only ridiculous, it was impossible. According to the neighbors, the elderly woman had recently contracted some form of mysterious illness and had been very sick the past few days. It was physically impossible for their meat thief to have been the old woman. Well, the wife and husband had no concrete proof, so they had no choice but to return home, confused and a bit concerned. That same evening, the couple had to go attend to some business elsewhere, and instead of leaving their child home alone, they asked a friend to come by and babysit. The babysitter played with the child, put the child to bed, and sat around waiting for the couple to return home. Eventually, the couple returned home, and the babysitter was getting ready to leave. Suddenly, everyone heard the child scream from their room. The three adults rushed to the child's room, and what they saw would traumatize anyone for life. The elderly woman from next door had snuck inside the child's room and had been chewing on the child's arm. She had first gone to check in the usual meat barrel, and after seeing the barrel completely empty, she crept into the child's room and attacked the child. Their husband ran towards her, and she turned and leapt out the window. The mother and the babysitter grabbed the child and immediately left for the hospital. The following day, everyone in the village had heard about what had happened, but most of them did not believe what the husband and wife said about the old woman. She was just a frail old woman who was probably dying from some unknown disease. How could she be running around, stealing meat, and attacking their child? A group from the village arrived at the old woman's house, knocked, but did not get a response. They pushed the door open and walked in. The old woman was not in her bed, and she didn't seem to be in the house at all. To the villagers' surprise and dismay, though, they found the bodies of the woman's son and daughter-in-law. Both their bodies had been gnawed and chewed on, with chunks of flesh missing from their bodies. The old woman never appeared in the village ever again. Some say she was not physically sick, but was instead possessed by a demon which made her act strange. Whatever the case may be, the villagers did end up believing the husband and wife. Although the old woman never showed up in the village again, there were strange rumors and supposed attacks and sightings of a similar old woman in other villages. An old woman who would only show up at night to steal meat and eat it raw. And when she couldn't find raw meat, she would attack random villagers. 
Is this some sort of demon possession or a weird unknown disease that causes people to crave raw meat? Where is she now, assuming she's still around? For our fourth tale, we will be heading over to Indonesia to talk about a supposed haunted location and the story behind the haunting. Back in the 1800s, when Indonesia was still under Dutch occupation, there was a beautiful young Indonesian woman named Mariam. She was said to have been working as a servant for a wealthy family, and as she was becoming a young woman, that's when all her troubles began. The head of the family, being so captivated by her beauty, wanted to take her as his concubine. This did not sit well with Mariam. She was still quite young. She had her own wants and needs, and she definitely did not see herself being an older man's concubine. She knew that rejecting the proposal would very likely put her life or her work in danger, so instead, she decided to run away. But where can a young 16-year-old run away to? Mariam quickly encountered an older man who, again, was drawn to her because of her beauty. He wanted to approach her, and most likely wanted to take advantage of her. Mariam knew what the man wanted, and she immediately rejected him and took off. This man was extremely unhappy and was incapable of taking no for an answer, so he decided he needed to teach her a lesson. He rounded up some of his friends, and the group quickly managed to track her down. I'm sure you can imagine what a group of men like these guys would do to a lone young girl like Miriam. Her body was eventually dumped in a rice field, and that is when and where the legend and supposed hauntings began. I would assume the location where her body was dumped is around Ankol Bridge in northern Jakarta, which is the location that is supposedly haunted. There have been many car accidents along that area, and many people say it is because of the spirit of Mariam. Some have reported seeing a young woman walking on the bridge at night. She is said to be mostly harmless, but if men do happen to approach her, it is said that she will give off a very angry vibe, turning pale and mean. It's not really hard to understand why she would be wary of men, even in death. Cars that pass by the immediate area also like to honk their horns three times, almost as if they're trying to alert her and ask her for permission to pass by. Although this tale is pretty sad and relatively harmless to most people, it could still be pretty creepy to see the spirit of a young girl wander the area late at night, especially knowing what happened to her. The problem with spirits is that you never know what they'll do to you. So it will always be a gamble and a surprise. It's much better to play it safe than to be sorry. For our last tale, I would like to share a very classic Japanese-style urban legend. I had never heard of this one before, and hopefully this will be interesting and spooky for you. This is the tale of the children upstairs. Akira was your average young man. He had married recently, he worked at a typical office job, and lived in a normal apartment. One day, though, he was in a car accident and suffered a neck injury. It wasn't life-threatening, 
but it did hold him back from his daily activities, including commuting to work and, well, work itself. Because of his injury, he asked for a week off to rest. His wife worked during the day, so for that entire week, it was just him in the apartment. Despite his injuries, he was quite excited to be able to stay home and kind of just relax and do nothing. He enjoyed the first two days of not doing anything. All he did was watch TV, eat, and then nap. But this isn't the kind of life that would suit everyone, though. On the third day, Akira began to feel bored and anxious. There wasn't much he could do at home. TV was getting boring, and most importantly, he wasn't able to leave the apartment because of his injury. After lunch on the third day, he lay down and decided to take a nap. Right before dozing off, though, Akira suddenly heard thumping noises coming from upstairs and what sounded like children's voices. He wasn't overly concerned with what he heard, as he assumed the kids probably had a half day or had a day off from school. No big deal. The following day, on the fourth day, he heard the sounds of children again, right around noontime. He listened a bit closely, and figured there had to be at least two kids upstairs. Imagine yourself resting at home trying to chill, and you hear kids upstairs making a lot of noise. Would that upset you? He wasn't upset, though. If anything, it made him feel less lonely, and then he tried to hear what they were saying. The kids kind of served as a momentary distraction. On the fifth day of staying home with nothing to do, Akira felt extremely lazy and decided to order pizza for lunch instead of making his own food. He had been doing that for the past four days. He figured he deserved something else for a change. He called, ordered a pizza, and then after he got it, he realized he wasn't able to finish it. He thought about leaving it for his wife, but for some reason, his mind kept wandering to the kids that lived upstairs. Akira thought about it for a second longer, and decided that he would share his pizza with the kids upstairs. He did not know who they were, he's never met them, but he felt this urge to do it anyway. What a nice man. Akira took the elevator upstairs, walked to the unit right above his, and rang the doorbell. He waited. No response. He couldn't explain what he was feeling, but he felt like someone was home, and so he tried ringing the doorbell again. He waited, and this time, he felt eyes on him through the peephole. Then he heard a small and weak voice coming from the other side of the door. Who's there? Akira was taken a bit by surprise, but he explained through the closed door that he was their downstairs neighbor and that he had ordered too much food and wanted to share it with them. Suddenly the door opened just a crack. The apartment seemed to be extremely dark, but he saw half a face from the crack. It was a woman's face. Thank you, but I don't need it. Akira tried to further explain that he wanted to share this with the kids, and as soon as he said this, two other faces, both only showing half, appeared right underneath the woman's face along the door crack. The woman responded, Oh, in that case, thank you. An arm appeared from behind the door and took the pizza from Akira. 
Akira felt extremely uncomfortable with the situation but wasn't able to explain why. He turned around and began to walk towards the elevator. Something about the faces and the heads didn't make sense to him, but he couldn't pinpoint it. The elevator was making its way to his floor ever so slowly. That's when he realized what felt so wrong. The three faces he saw, it almost looked like the heads were stacked on top of each other. Akira suddenly felt sick and nauseous. He walked to the fire escape and pushed the door open. That's when he felt another weird, sickening feeling. He felt like someone was watching him. He turned to look, and right around the elevator corner, he saw three faces staring at him, only showing half their faces. Three heads stacked on top of each other. Akira was terrified and immediately ran downstairs to his apartment. That cannot be. That can't be. Three heads can't be stacked like that. Where are their bodies? Akira was also almost positive he saw something behind the three heads, but he couldn't make out what it was. Either way, he was so spooked he called the police to go check on the family upstairs. The police arrived later, and after entering the apartment upstairs, they found three decomposing bodies thrown in the bathtub. One woman and two children. All three had been decapitated, but their heads were nowhere to be found. The three were said to have been dead for at least three days. The police were immediately suspicious of the woman's husband, who also happened to be the father of the two kids. They searched the apartment, tried to follow leads, and eventually found the husband-slash-father hiding inside Akira's apartment. He had a bag with him, and I think you can guess what was in the bag. Thank you for tuning in to this Urban Legends episode. I hope you found at least one of them creepy or interesting, or hopefully you at least learned some weird, obscure cultural fact. This is also this year's last episode. I appreciate all your listens, all your kindness, and all your downloads. Please note, I will be taking a break for about a month. We'll be back late January. In the meantime, please stay safe. Happy Holidays. Happy New Year. I look forward to interacting with all of you again next year. Thank you for making my 2020 pretty darn cool. Till next time. And before I end the episode, I would like to thank my new reviewers and my new Patreon pledger. For the reviews, thank you, Noir Rose 21 from Australia, MK Flores from the US for updating your review, I believe, Sporks McGee from the US, Andrea from the US, and Bootfaced from the UK. Lovely words. I really appreciate it. And thank you, Ginger and Charm, for subscribing to my Patreon. That really helps, and I will get in touch with you later on about your Patreon merch. Thank you all so much. Thank you for tuning in to the Asian Madness Podcast. If you enjoyed my content, please rate and review me on iTunes. If you would like to get in touch with me, you can find me on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, or email me at asianmadnesspod at gmail.com.
BetMGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at BetMGM. Simply download the BetMGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then, place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C.